series called Scripture Alive, and if we've been in this series, what we've done is we've looked at uh, uh, kind of some locations in Israel, the place where Scripture, most of Scripture took place, uh, even though there is some other places in, uh, that, that some of Scripture took place during Paul's missionary journeys and other things, but um, that last November when my wife and I and another, uh, with a group of folks to Israel, uh, some things uh, happened there that allowed me to uh, really rejuvenate, in a sense, my uh, enthusiasm for Scripture after all of these years of teaching Scripture. And uh, so I felt like uh, that I wanted to teach and spend some time doing that. So what I've done over the last couple of weeks, I've shared two different locations. The first week, we uh, looked at Jerusalem, and particularly at, in Jerusalem, the Wailing Wall, a place that's very famous uh, there in Jerusalem that we visited. I talked about prayer in, in context of that. Last week, we went to the Jordan River and visited there for a little while. And while we were there, I talked about baptism and how important that is. So if you're either one of those topics or things that you'd like to learn more about as well, go back and look at our podcast on, on prayer and on, on baptism. And this week, we're going to be looking at uh, another location that I visited while I was in Jerusalem, uh, Nazareth. Nazareth was a location where uh, Jesus, uh, uh, where Jesus uh, grew up, and kind of, not where he was born, but where he kind of grew up, and we're going to look at that. Then over the next couple of weeks, uh, a couple of the staff who've been to, to Israel as well, uh, next week, Chris, our, our student pastor, is going to be sharing uh, about the, the location of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he went to Israel about six years ago on a trip there, and we're going to be talking about the parable of the sower and uh, some teaching that Jesus did there by the Sea of Galilee. He did a lot of teaching there, and so that he could have picked a lot of different things, but that's where we're looking at. And then two weeks from now, Dan Baker, our children's pastor, is going to be... Uh, uh, sharing with us about his trip and about uh, a passage in a location he went two years ago in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Dan, you said it was like 16 years, 15, 16 years ago. Dan's all the way at the back, back there. Uh, he he uh, went to Israel back when he was, is it Moody? When you were in Moody, I guess, or along that line, somewhere along the way. And uh, he uh, went there as well. So uh, felt it was appropriate to allow them to uh, spend a little bit of time doing that. And then I'll come back the last three weeks of the series, the last three weeks in March. And we'll be looking at some other locations, the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and then the last week on Easter, uh, Golgotha, which is called Skull Hill, and the Garden Tomb. We'll be talking about all those locations and scriptures that goes along with those as well. So look forward to what God's going to teach us through this. And then I'm really looking forward to what, beyond that, uh, what's going to be taking place in April, but I'm not going to share that with you right now, okay? You have to come and find out. So anyway... Okay, this morning, we're going to look at Nazareth. Now, today, if you looked at Nazareth, go ahead and put the first slide up there. If you looked at Nazareth, uh, Nazareth is up here. I don't know if you can find out where it's at. You see it? It's way up in the north part right there. See it right there? Woo! Right there is Nazareth. Did it to Nazareth today, and down here is Jerusalem, the, the circle right here. Bethlehem's right there. Tel Aviv, modern city there. Uh, we've, uh, we, were at, we, were, we have been so far to Jerusalem and right over here near Jericho on the Jordan River is where the last two weeks we spent time. Today we've gone up north. It's not all that far. It's about uh, from, from uh, uh, Jerusalem. It's about, uh, it's about 90 miles from here to Nazareth. It's about 70 miles from Tel Aviv to Nazareth. So it's not a real, really huge country. But uh, as we went there uh, uh, just this past November and we drove into the city, this is kind of what we saw. Next slide. Uh, it's, this is a modern city today. It's, uh, it's a fairly... Actually, Nazareth today is the largest city in northern part of, of Israel. Uh, it has its home, Nazareth itself, is home to about 75,000, mostly Israeli Arabs. Approximately 70% of those are Muslim and 30% are Christian. 
And then right next to it, attached to it, is grown up a, a, a settlement, which is now another city called Upper Nazareth. And that's where about 40,000 Jewish uh, people live. And so that area is, you know, fairly large t- together, 75, 40, you know, fairly large city at the time. Uh, Nazareth is often referred to today as the Arab capital of Israel because so many, it's so, uh, so many Arabs that live there. But that's not the way it looked in Jesus' day. So let's go look at a couple other pictures here. Modern day Nazareth, uh, a nighttime picture kind of shows the hillside. Very hilly area. That's kind of like a lot of Israel, very hilly. Uh, the houses are built almost on top of one another. And the next slide shows a daytime shot of the kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, if you want a big yard there, you're out of luck. Uh, so that's kind of what it looks like today. That's not what it looked like in Jesus' day. Next slide. Kind of shows this place here. Now this area here is modern day, but this area here that you see, and this is actually snow on the ground. That's not sand. That's snow. They do have snow occasionally in Israel, not when we were there, but uh, they have snow. Uh, Marty, our tour guide, was in town this past week. It was actually our tour guide in Israel, and we got to meet with him, he and a bunch of our folks. We had a reunion of our group, and we went over and, and did that, and Marty was sharing that uh, last week in Israel when he left, it was 85 degrees. And I'm going, when does it snow? He says, well, once in a while, you know, it gets cold enough to snow. It doesn't stay long. But this area right here we look at is actually a place now that's called Nazareth Village. And Nazareth Village is where we spent most of our time in Nazareth uh, after going through the town. Because Nazareth Nazareth Village is an outdoor museum that's kind of like a a modern-day recreation of what Nazareth would look like in Jesus' day. There's actually people that that do all the things. Let me show you some pictures. Next picture. Uh, here's, a, here's a guy that was in Nazareth Village. It was in what would have been like a carpenter shop where Jesus and his father, Joseph, would have been uh, learning the carpentry trade. This is some of the tools they used back. These are actually authentic uh, first century tools. Some of the, you're going like, is this piece of the wood? Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Uh, that's what they did in that day, and that's what it would look like in that day. And it was a really interesting place to go to. Next picture uh, shows uh, the, the hillsides there, the area where they still... Those are, those are mostly olive trees that you see around there. Uh, some of them are very ancient, very old, and uh, they still uh, uh, do everything there like they did in Jesus' day. Next picture uh, is a lady there that was, that was weaving with this kind of loom thing here. She still actually makes stuff like they did then. It takes forever and ever and ever. If, if you're in a hurry, don't live in that cu- culture. Uh, okay, next picture. Uh, is this is actually, this area up in here is called a watchtower. Remember in Scripture when it talks about the watchtower? When they look over it, I always thought a watchtower was this huge monstrous. No, it's not. It's just the top of a hill. It's kind of a tower where they would sit and watch over the land around them to make sure any enemies or actually any uh, animals or stuff would come, come there. And you see the terraces here. This is actually where they did the gardening. Next week, Chris will talk about some of the things about the parable of the sower. And this kind of came to life to me here when I saw the context of how they actually did farming in those days. Okay, next picture is, uh, uh, this is actually a millstone right here. And it's attached to this thing, uh, this, this, this thing, and there's this pole in the middle. And this right here has a trough. What this is used for is to uh, take olives when they're, when they're uh, brand, when ripe finally. They place them in there and go around. Usually there's a, instead of a guy right here, there's usually a donkey. And uh, the donkey goes around and walks around in circles all day long. And they throw stuff, and it becomes this mash that they then put into uh, an olive press, which we'll talk about uh, when we talk about the Garden, Garden of Gethsemane in a few weeks. Uh, but this is, you know, we talked about in Scripture about a millstone being tied to your neck. 
You know, uh, look at the passage and figure that out and ask if you'd want that tied to your neck. Uh, it wouldn't probably work too well. And uh, that's came to life. It's a little bit bigger than I thought. I don't know how much it weighs, like a ton or something like that. Okay, next picture. This is a picture of a recreation there of actually the, the probably what it was like, uh, the Jewish synagogue that was there in Jesus' day, the outside of it there. And there's a guy that was re- in a recreation of, of the first century costume and uh, there. And then the last picture, uh, last picture is the inside. That's, uh, we went with Northwoods and that's Cal Rickner. Uh, he was uh, teaching us in, in, in that, inside of the synagogue that day. And uh, that's kind of where today what I want to talk about is what happened in, in that synagogue in the first century and what, what uh, Jesus taught there and what it says in Scripture about it as well. We know that one thing that's true is that we found out in Scripture, it tells us in two different locations, in Matthew and Luke, that Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He didn't, wasn't born there, but he grew up there. He, sometime after his parents came back from Egypt, after fl- fleeing to Egypt, after uh, Jesus was born and he, they flew to, uh, fled to Egypt, they came back to Nazareth and stayed there for many, many years. So that was kind of his hometown. Okay, when, when uh, like I said before, when Nazareth today is one of the largest cities in northern Israel today, uh, and Jesus' day was one of the smallest. It, actually, probably less than 500 people lived there. Okay, so uh, Germantown and Metamore and some of the communities around here look like metropolises compared to Jesus' day of Israel. It's the kind of place where everybody knew everybody, and keep that in mind as we look at the passages of scriptures today. So let me give you a context. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 today. I could have done Mark chapter 6 or Luke chapter 4. Both of them tell similar stories. Actually, sometimes some commentators, a few commentators think it's the same story kind of told in different ways. Most commentators think that actually it's two different instances where Jesus taught in the synagogue. Uh, and in, in Mark chapter 6 is probably the second instance. The first one in, in Luke chapter 4 says that when Jesus went to, there to the synagogue to his hometown, and he, when he went there it says that he, after he taught, um, something interesting happened. They were so angry with him, they wanted to take him out on one of these cliffs, it says, and it was probably about two mile, or two kilometers from there, and they wanted to throw him off a cliff. I don't know about you, but I've, I've never, you know, I've preached some bad sermons before, but no one's ever wanted to throw me off a cliff. So, I mean, Jesus, it must have been really bad, whatever he said. But he, he was riled up enough to where that happened. And then about a year later, probably, we see what happens here. He comes back uh, to, to his hometown in, uh, in, uh, in Nazareth. And, and when he comes there, uh, he comes back after, while well, he's on a kind of a preaching tour, we would call it. He, or not only a speaking tour, but a tour when he was going around from village to village, and he was teaching God's Word and doing all sorts of miracles. The Bible says that prior to coming to Nazareth, he had been turning water into wine, he'd raised the dead, he had fed thousands, he opened blind eyes, he healed deaf ears, um, he, did, he multiplied loaves and fishes. The Bible says that even... He even um, uh, healed Peter's mother-in-law, which some commentators believe is the reason that Peter later denied him. <laughs> you are listening. Okay, good. It's not true. Uh, you know, not true about the denying him part. You know, just want to see if you're listening this morning. Okay, when I say something like that, no. You know, you know uh, the thing is, is that J- Jesus was doing all these things, but but he was doing all these miracles. He had been going from place to place doing miracles and healing people and, and, and doing miraculous things. And then he comes to his hometown. After being thrown out probably a year prior, 
It says he, he, he came back to his hometown. So we're going to read in Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, uh, just six, passages, six verses of Scripture today. I'm going to talk about something that's very, uh, that really stood out to me when I read this passage and reminded, I was reminded of this so much when I was standing there, sitting there in that synagogue in Jerusalem back in November. And in uh, verse uh, 1, it says this in Mark 6, Jesus left there where he had been, and he went to his hometown, Nazareth, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. And they asked this question, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? I mean, they knew him. Remember, this is a small town where everybody knows everybody. But it even kind of says that next. It says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? I mean, we know all his brothers, and, his, and his, aren't his sisters still here with us? And because of that, because of his teaching and what he was doing, it says they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them this. He said, only in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Now, I want to talk about that today because we're going to look at the last two verses in just a few moments. But this whole issue of being without honor is the key to understanding what had went on, gone, went on in this village this, in this day. I remember this, this context of honor. What is honor? We don't talk about honor a lot in our culture in America. When I went to Africa a few years ago to African villages in Mali and, and was going out to the bush and stuff, one of the things we asked when we went out to the bush was this. We said, when we go out, we don't want to offend people. We want to honor them. So how can we make sure, what do we do? What do we need to do to make sure we honor them? That we don't offend them. And, and our, guy, our guy who has been a missionary uh, in Congo for 10 years before and now is back over in Mali is a missionary, Steve Nelson. He told us, he said, let me tell you, that one of the things that sounds weird and this sounds weird because we were, in a, we were in a time of year, and it wasn't the hottest time of year, but almost every day we were in Mali, it was 115 degrees during the day, okay? Keep that in mind. Very dry heat, okay? 115 degrees every day. You don't stand outside in the sun too long because you would get baked. He said, but there, he said, do not, do not wear shorts ever. Really? I mean, that's the first thing I was like, no, wear long pants because in that culture, to leave your legs exposed, men and women, is taboo don't do that and also another thing he said when we go to the villages now when we, we were in the in the city of Bamako which was the the huge like two million people crazy craziest place I've ever been in my life there we would eat at the missionary compound and have our meals there but when we went out in the bush for several days and we were staying in villages and uh, villages there uh, he said this make sure that you eat whatever they give you whatever they offer you What can I say? And uh, I shared with some of that stuff before. I mean, it was, it was interesting, it's interesting food. But anyway, he said that. But let me tell you, it wasn't just us honoring them. They wanted to honor us. And one of the things they did is every time we would go, and he told us to make sure that we would do what they asked us to do. And then we are kind of through a translator. Every time we would go to a village, they would always offer us the best seats in the house, whatever they may be. It wasn't really fancy, but whatever, the, there were seats of honor around the fire, seats of honor in the circles. And, and, they, and they offered us their best hut as our accommodations while we were there, no matter where we went. And they always fed us first before they fed anybody else, everywhere with it. That was to them, that was honoring of us. 
And then when I went to Israel, went to Israel, I was thinking about, you know, what's the big deal about honoring Israel? Well, a couple of things that came to mind and didn't really ask this question quite as much. But in Israel, even when we went to the Wailing Wall, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that you do with the Wailing Wall that you would dishonor them if you didn't do it is you cover your head. Uh, men uh, have to go and you can, you can wear, they'll give you a kippah, the little thing that sits on the back of your head if you don't have one. Or if you have a, even if you have a baseball cap on, it's fine. But as long as your head is covered, and women have to cover their heads, I mean, it's the whole deal of, at least most of them do, Jewish women do, in, in that culture. And it's an honoring thing to do. And another thing is that I, I asked our, our tour guide, Marty, I said, you know, is there anything else? He said, well, on the Sabbath, it's always good to have the right greeting. Oh, really? Yeah. Everywhere else you go, shalom all the time. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Everywhere you go. Even though I don't know Hebrew or, you know, anything. And, and so he said, on the Sabbath, from Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown, that's their Sabbath, you always say Shabbat Shalom. And it's, uh, you know, and, and that's your greeting. And it, says it, it gives honor. It says it's part of doing. And then I began to ask myself this question. If somebody came to the America and they asked that question, what do you do to honor, make sure we don't offend people in America? I'm not sure what I would say. Is there anything that, you know, is, is honor even a big deal in America? You know, what, really, think about it. Uh, we don't even, I'm not even sure that concept is on our radar sometimes. And so let's go back to what it says, that last, the last part of the verse is, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. The word without honor is, is, is a Greek word, is a, a timos, and it means to dishonor, but it also means to treat, and this is the clue, to treat as common or ordinary. To treat as common or ordinary. Jesus was saying the reason that a prophet is not, is not uh, in his hometown, he's treated as ordinary. They knew him. They thought he was, they thought he was just an ordinary old guy. They didn't, know he, they didn't realize this is the son of God. And let me tell you something. If you want to have a common or an ordinary marriage, if, if that's your goal, common and ordinary, let me tell you how to get one. Dishonor your spouse. Treat them as common or ordinary. I mean, what is the deal? What is, why is it in the early years of, of a relationship when we're first married, when we're dating and when we're first married, why is it that when it's great and you're all in love and you're continually showing honor to one another, you're, you know, guys open doors for girls, uh, you bring presents, there's some flowers, you call them by pet names, munchkin, baby fat, you know, whatever, whatever the name is, you know, you do that kind of stuff in the early years, right? You did it, you did it, you had your names and you still may do it, I don't know. Uh, but the thing is, we show honor over and over again. But what happens? You get married, and all of a sudden, you start to take one another for granted, and you begin, instead of showing honor, you begin to treat each other as common, and suddenly, what was great becomes common because you showed dishonor. You treated it as common or ordinary. Now, on the other side of it, I said that's what it means to have, to, to have without honor. But to honor, the word honor is a, is a Greek word, and it looks like it's spelled T-I-M-E, time, but it's really called, it's called teme. It means to value, to respect, or highly esteem, to treat as precious or weighty or valuable. That's the other extreme. That's the other end of the spectrum. See, it's kind of like this. 
Honor, means, honor builds up and it believes the best. Dishonor tears down, it believes the worst, it devalues. And in our culture so often we have this phrase and we say it this way, we say respect is earned. But I want to tell you, yeah, respect is earned, but honor is given. Respect in our culture, I looked up the dictionary definition of respect. Respect means to admire someone or something deeply, but as the result of their abilities, qualities, or achievements. You, you, you uh, admire someone, but you do it because they do something. But honor, the Bible says, is to be freely given. It's not based upon what somebody has done for you. It's based upon relationship. You may think, well, I'll treat someone with honor when they're living honorably. But the Bible says no. He says you can treat, you can treat with honor before they're living honorably. And if what honor will do will bestow upon them. It often helps them to lift them up. It empowers them. It encourages them. The reason our country, maybe our country uh, is the way it is, is over and over again, we've been devaluing people by being dishonoring. So let's look at Scripture again and watch, watch what a spirit of dishonor does to the Son of God. It said, in the last verse we read, verse 4, it, says that, it said that, that, it, that he, was, he was without honor in his hometown. It says this in verse 5 of Mark 6. Jesus, because of dishonor, Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Remember, he'd been going from town to town to town, healing people, doing all these things, doing incredible things everywhere he went, but he goes to his hometown, and because of their dishonor, their lack of honor for him, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. There's only two times in Scripture that the word amazed is ever used in regard to Jesus. This place, he was amazed at the people because of their lack of faith, and a centurion who Jesus was amazed at because of his faith. Now check it out what it says there. It doesn't say he, he, he wouldn't uh, do miracles. He didn't say Jesus would, would not. The Bible says he could not do them. He could not do them. Now I don't fully understand this. But there seems to be some tie in here between a lack of faith and a lack of honor and Jesus' inability to do things in the context of where he was in that place at that time. And tragically, what I see today happening is we've become a culture, for the most part, that is without honor. We really don't, don't value that anymore. But the Bible tells us over and over and over again, it uses the term honor. It uses the term honor over and over again. I want to point out just a few places this morning where the Bible tells us we're to honor people, certain groups of people. First of all, we go all the way back into the Old Testament in Exodus. Remember the top ten, the Ten Commandments? One of those commandments talks about honoring a group of people. Who are those group of people? Exodus 20:12. Honor your, your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. Now, I know I'm old-fashioned, okay? For all the kids that are here, I'm sorry, I'm old-fashioned. At our house, when our kids were growing up, and our kids are now 33 and 27, I believe, okay? I'm looking at my wife way back there saying, yes, yes, dear, that's right, okay. I always get confirmation from her about stuff like that, okay? But when they were growing up in our house, there was only one right answer to anything that we asked them to do. You know what that was? Well, it was actually one to me and one to Vicky. It was a little bit different, but it was pretty much the same. It was, yes, sir, 
and yes, ma'am. That was the only right answer. Any other answer had consequences. And so they learned that that was important. They learned to honor our position as parents. It didn't mean that we as parents were perfect. It didn't mean we as parents had it all together. And sometimes we had to go to our kids and say, Honey, our, our son, we are, you know, we messed up this time, but we're doing our best and we will, you know, keep, keep doing what we ask you to do. We'll hopefully get it right eventually. But the thing is, is that that's what happens. And so often I hear kids say, well, my mom and dad don't live honorable lives, so I don't want to honor them. Well, the Bible says as we lift up and encourage our parents by honoring them by play, because of their position in our lives. And it doesn't stop today. I mean, when we talk to our kids now, you know, one of the things they do is they listen still, even though we still don't get it right 100% of the time. But they still honor us. And the Bible tells us they, they don't treat us as common. They treat us as special. And God tells us that's what we're to do. We're to honor our parents. Another group of people the Bible tells us we're to honor is those in authority. Those in authority. It says in Romans 13, 7, it says, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You show honor to those who are in authority over you. We live in a culture where we question everybody in authority over us right? I mean, let's just ask, let's do a survey, okay? How many of you love what's going on with the presidential debates and all this stuff going on right now? How many of you love that kind of stuff? I'm glad there are not any sickos here. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping nobody would raise their hand. Why is that true? When I was, I remember the first presidential election I voted in, and I don't remember who was running. The other person was Nixon. Okay, it shows how old I am. Okay, it's pre-World War. No, it wasn't that, that long ago. But, you know, I remember that. And I remember that there, even though there was some dialogue back then, it wasn't like it is now. It wasn't nasty. I would encourage you, if you want to hear some, one of the best messages I've ever heard on the topic of how to deal with politics from a spiritual perspective, and we'll tell you how to vote, and we'll tell you which is right or wrong, but it'll tell you what a Christian needs to respond to, is go to northpoint.org. Andy Stanley's church, look at, listen, he had a message just about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, called, uh, uh, I forgot what was the name of it, guys, it was in my group yesterday, some about election infection, I can't remember what it was called, so one, one, one study thing, listen to that, it was powerful, it'll make you think differently about how you approach things in regard to how a Christian should approach things in regard to politics, without being political, okay, I hate politics, but I don't, but I like this message. So that's a good one. But we need to treat each other with respect. You, do, you show honor to those in authority. For those who you play sports, you honor your coaches. Um, you, you honor your teachers. If you, uh, for those who instruct you and educate you, you honor your boss. You're going, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than my boss. Well, you may be smarter than your boss. That's not the issue. They're placed there in a position of authority. And before you learn to be over, you've got to learn how to be under someone. Because if you don't learn that first, you're going to be a horrible boss. Horrible. I can tell you by experience, serving with different people like that. Anyway, we honor those in authority. Now, the next one will sound totally self-serving, but I don't care because it says it in Scripture. Another group of people we're to, uh, to honor is our pastors and church leaders. It says in Scripture, 
says it in 1 Timothy 5.17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of what? Double honor. Two times honor. It means if you honor like your boss with a dozen cookies, you bring me two dozen. <laughs> but don't bring me two dozen cookies because I don't eat cookies because I can't. No, you bring me two smoothies or something, you know, something healthy, you know? No. And then it says this, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. <laughs> now, the reason I say that and I bring this up is this. It's a biblical mandate, yes. But the reason that I can lead and do what I do here at Great Oaks, and it's been different at other churches before, is because you honor me as your pastor. I was on the elder board for the FEC, our denomination, for five years. And most of the time on the elder board, what you deal with is you credential. That means you, you review people who are going to be potential leaders in churches to make sure their theology is correct. And the other issue we dealt with, which is the one I hated, was we dealt with church problems. And I can tell you almost every time that we dealt with church problems, one of the problems, and sometimes the major symptom, is that the pastor was not honored by his... I would have people that were in leadership in the church who would talk down to the pastor in front of him and say things about him. And I'm going like, you know, guys, what you need to do is you need... To, and the reason you're in this mess is because you're not honoring your pastor. Not that he's perfect, but you need to honor him. And sometimes they listen and sometimes they wouldn't. But the reason I can do what I do here and what we can do what we do here is because you honor me. One of the great things about leading here is that you all truly show me honor. It doesn't mean they're not critics and that everybody likes me. That's just part of the job. But the reality is, as a church, I never feel like people are trying to absorb my position or my, the, the power that I'm supposed to, to get, be able to lead you with. Because when I say things like, um, some people say like, well, Bill, what do, you, what do you think we should do? And when I say it, you listen. It's scary. Because it means, and you know what it makes me do? It makes me realize that, that I need to be really close to God and really listen to him because I don't want to lead you in a way that would not honor him. That's why it says in Scripture that we should do that. So, Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Here's your assignment for this week. Not for just this week, for all time. In regard to this. Because it says in Scripture, the Bible says clearly, this is what all of us need to do. In Romans 12, 10, it says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing what? Honor. So let me, let me tell you how to do that. Let me tell you how to do that. How many of you here have kids that are over in, in that direction this morning? That means, how many of you have kids that are in the student ministries? Some of the same. The, half the congregation here has people. The people that are serving you over there this morning and on Wednesday nights and other times with your kids, you need to honor them. And how you do that is don't treat them like they're just common and that's their job. Let me tell you something. You know, I'm paid to be good. They're good for nothing. <laughs> and they don't have to, and the ones on Wednesday nights are good for nothing too. But the, the, the thing is, the thing is, is that the reality is, is they don't do it because they're, they don't do it because they want to get paid. 
They do it because they love God and want to honor God. And what you need to do is honor them. Outdo one another with honor. So how do you do that? You find out when their birthdays are. You say thank you to the people who help your kids. You bring them gift cards. I'm serious. They serve you. Show them honor. Show them honor. Those of you, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but I mean, a large number of you are in small groups, right? A large number of you here are in small groups. And small group leaders, they open their homes, and they, they spend time preparing. And then we go to the small group, and we think, oh, that's just what they do. No. Show them honor. Praise them and thank them. Help them clean up the mess you made before you leave. You know, do something to, to show them honor. Let me, let's, let's think a little more practical. You want a great marriage? Let me tell you how to have a great marriage. Outdo each other in showing honor. Have an honor contest. Outdo one another in showing honor. And let me tell you, it will raise the level of your marriage beyond anything you can imagine. You highly esteem by showing honor and value. So I just want to kind of help you to understand what that means this morning in a very practical way because I want to publicly honor some people this morning. I did this first service and I want to do it now as well. I just want to share, share this because I think we need to do this sometimes with people to share how much people that they mean to us and, and how we want to honor them. Number one, I want to honor the first person I want to publicly show honor to this morning is my best friend and the mother of my two children. She probably hates she's here right now. <laughs> but I want to publicly honor the most godly woman I've ever known. I want to say to you, Vicki that uh, I am truly indebted. I wrote all this down so I'd remember it all. I'm truly indebted to your faithfulness, to your prayers, to your friendship, to your support. And I, I, I want to honor you for all the private sacrifice that you have made that no one will ever know about and to all the private pain that you've endured and to the fact that you love Jesus more today and love his people more today than you ever have. I honor you for your friendship, for your godliness and your partnership. You're the best friend I've ever had. And uh, when I see you later, I'm going to kiss you a whole lot. And uh, <laughs> so I just want to say thank, thank God for you. I want to honor you. Now, guys, you get that, right? I want to honor my staff. Some of them are looking at me like, really? <laughs> yeah. I've worked in churches with horrible staff. This isn't one of them. I want to honor the three guys that have worked with me, two of them for over 10 years, one for nine years, who, have, uh, who are really the catalyst for helping this church to get past a certain level and grow. And, you know, and uh, sometimes I've made jokes about, yeah, it was easier when I was by myself, but it, I was by myself and it was really hard. But, you know, I want to tell you, with, uh, you know, with Nate, you see him up on stage leading worship, but you don't know all the stuff that goes on behind stage. And, and, and Daniel, you see him occasionally when he's working with kids and he's out somewhere and, and, and doing all those things. And when you maybe go pick up your kids, you see him, but you don't understand all the stuff that goes involved in that. And Chris, you, you, you don't see him here, especially because most of the stuff that happens with student ministry happens during the week when you're not here, unless you're one of the volunteers. And I just want to honor them. I tell them, thank you, thank you, thank you for your steadfastness. And for your patience and tolerance of me 
and, and your ability to, to change and go with the flow. Because everybody on staff just about has changed positions uh, since they've been here. They didn't come in at one position and stay there. They've moved around because the church has grown. And so I want to honor you for that. I, and I want to take a moment and honor all of you. I, let me tell you, I believe this to be the very best church on the planet. We're not perfect, okay? Don't get too cocky now, okay? But one of the very best churches, I can tell you it's the very best church I've ever been a part of. Really is. You're courageous, you're, you're, you're generous, you're faithful, you're growing. Not only numerically, but you're growing. I, I love the stories that people come and share with me about what God is doing in their life. That's what it's all about. And I honor you for that. And most of all this morning, above all else, I want to honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I, I want to honor the Son of God, the risen Christ, the, who gave his life and touched my heart. And I honor him for changing me into a new creation and, and, and for forgiving me for more sin than you could ever imagine, for filling me with his Holy Spirit and empowering me to do the things that I do because that I couldn't possibly do on my own. I just want to say publicly, I want to honor him. But it, it hurts my heart to think about our culture, though, and I ask the question again, why are we in a culture without honor? Why is it not a big deal in America? L let me give you the one reason. We're kind of winding down here. The reason our culture is dishonoring is because people aren't honoring God. Because it all starts with our honor of God. Not See, the problem is, and, and it says it in, in, in Psalm 22, it says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All of your descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All your descendants of Israel. The problem is, as an American, and so often, even in churches, we treat God as common. Like he's just, uh, God's my homeboy. He ain't your homeboy. No. He's the king of kings, lords of lords, who died on a cross for your sins and my sins. And because of that, if we treat him as common, we are dishonoring him when we just go days and days and days without connecting with him in prayer and seeking him out in our hearts. We are dishonoring him. And we need to honor him. And, that's, and when we honor him, it will lead over to every other part of our lives. Because when we honor God, guess what we'll do? The Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then secondly, what we do? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we honor God. It's not just coming to church on Sunday mornings, listen, put it up with me, and then going home and then doing everything you want to. It's about this is a catalyst for going out and doing things that would honor God all week long, every day. That's what God wants us to do. And the reason that Jesus couldn't do anything in his hometown is because nobody listened to him because they treated him as common. Not as Lord of Lords. I want to close by just telling a story, but I think it makes the point well. It's a true story. It's a story about a guy named Babe Ruth. Y'all know who he is, right? Even if you don't know baseball, you know Babe Ruth, you know? You know what that means? Four of you, okay. Okay, anyway, the rest of you, you asked the four of them and shook their head yes. Okay, it has something to do with Babe Ruth, by the way. But let me tell you, this has nothing to do with that. It's, it's told that there were seven home run bats that were autographed by Babe Ruth. And it was at this one time there was this home run contest, and, and, and uh, this, his agent had put it on, and when his agent put it on at the end of the home run contest, 
one guy who, one, I guess, some way got one of the bats, and then kind of it disappeared. The rest of them, the other six were out there for a long time, but the, one, the first bat that was given away, they don't know where it went to because the guy uh, who, who bought it wanted to remain anonymous, went his own way, and it, the story goes that for years he kept this bat as his honored possession. But he outlived everybody in his family, and on his deathbed, he gave it to his nurse, the woman who had served him day in and day out for years and years and years. And he said this to her, he says, you are the closest person that I know and love, and I want you to give you my most valuable possession. And she didn't know anything about baseball at all. I mean, she was clueless about baseball, but she knew, well, this is a valued possession. And so she took this autographed Babe Ruth bat, one of only seven, and what she did is she kept it in a safe place for the next 18 years under her bed. And then she ran into hard times financially and she was decided she was going to try to open a restaurant, her own business, but she's wondering, like, what can I have that would make some money? And she remembered the bat. She pulled it out from under her bed and she said, I wonder if this is worth anything. So she takes it down to this, this shop down the road that's this guy's stolen uh, sports memorabilia and stuff. And she walks in with this bat and she looks at the guy and she says, is this worth anything? And he says, as his, as his jaw drops, his eyes pop out of his head. He's going like, let me check on that. And so he calls a couple of guys he knows are authorities on this. They come in, they get some other people. It's like this whole parade of people coming in. And they authenticate that this bat was actually the first bat that was autographed by Babe Ruth. And in 2006, that, that bat was sold at an auction for $1.3 million. Needless to say, she opened a restaurant. But also she did something else. She used the rest of the money after she opened her restaurant to start a foundation to serve the children that Babe Ruth wanted to serve at the end of his life. And a reporter asked her, why did you put all that money into a foundation to help others? And she said this. Now listen to this. This is the point. She said the bat was, the only, valu was only valuable because Babe, Babe Ruth's name was on it. So the only reasonable thing I could do was something that would honor his life because he made it valuable. We are valuable because of what Jesus did. And if you are a believer, because, and if you're a believer because his name is on your heart, and the only reasonable response that would, be, that would be reasonable enough to honor Jesus would be to do something with our lives that would honor him if we're his. But sadly, the Bible says that so many of us, what we do is we don't really honor God. It says this in Isaiah 29. It says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We must not be a generation that no longer understands the concept of honor, especially those of us who call ourselves Christians. We should lead the way in outdoing others in honor. And it begins with honoring God and not treating him as common. So, this morning, I'd ask you to do something for me. Just bow your heads, close your eyes.
And I want to ask some questions in prayer this morning. I just want you to think about this. This morning, as, as your head, heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'd ask this question. Maybe during this, this sermon, as I've gone through the list of things that God said we should honor our parents, authorities, spiritual leaders, people that lead us in different ways, God himself, has the Holy Spirit been convicting you that maybe you have been dishonoring Maybe your parents, maybe your spouse, maybe your boss, maybe your spiritual leaders, people who serve you. If God has been convicting you that, yeah, I've been dishonoring them, I've been treating them as common, and you'd like to say to God, God, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to repent of that sin of dishonor of people in my life. Would you just, as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, if you want to say that to God, God, I don't want to dishonor these people anymore, would you just raise your hand? Just, thank you, thank you, thank you all over the building. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. God, I just want to lift these folks up this morning who've raised their hand. I want you to, God, I, I know that our hearts can be right, but God, sometimes we need your spirit, God, to, to motivate us, to give us the direction we need to do. So I would pray, God, that you would give each person whose hands were raised, and even those who didn't but feel that they've been dishonored in some way, that we would continue to be convicted of that need so much so, God, that it would drive us to begin to honor those people, not to treat them as common anymore, but to treat them as, as, as worthy, and even though they're not perfect in any way, God, that we would honor people in our lives that we need to honor, especially those people that are closest to us, God, and it starts with you. And for a second group of people this morning that asked this, is your life honoring God? Have you just been giving him lip service? Maybe you've just been coming to church and, and, then, and that's all it's been? It's not been a real relationship with God that directs your life every day? And, and while your lips may be saying yes to God, your heart is far from him. Maybe the, the issue is this. Maybe you've never said yes to God. You've never made him, made Jesus your Lord and your Savior. And maybe today is the time when you need to honor him by saying yes to him. And you can begin to do that this morning if that is your desire to say yes to God. I know God, I've just been showing up at church, just doing my Christian thing, being my religious thing, but I've not really been honoring you with my life, only with my lips. If you really want to make a change in the direction of your life right now, and you want to begin, make a process and make a change, if you would just raise your hand. While, uh, uh, heads are bowed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several, several hands. Thank you. Thank you. God, let me pray for these folks this morning. I pray that you would just enable them this morning, these folks to just raise their hands to take that next step they need to take, God. They've taken a step, God, this first step of, of admitting that they have not been honoring you, God, with their lives. And I would pray, God, that they would spend the time over the next week of, of talking to either someone here or someone that's close to them that can guide them in what next steps they need to take. But God, I thank you so much for their, for their ability to say to you, God, and their conviction to say to you, God, not I've been honoring you, but I've only been doing it with my lips, not with my life. Because, God, that is an incredible, incredible step that they've made this morning. The most important thing they can do in their life to change the trajectory of their lives, God, from this day forward. And I would pray this would just be the beginning of a process where they would become, uh, they, would, they would come know more about you, 
They would follow you, God, in, in baptism and doing all the things. They would come to class 101, 201, 301, where they would learn how to grow as a Christian, how to serve, and how to do the things that would really honor you, God, with their lives. And God, I would just pray that you would enable us this morning, God, as a, as a congregation, this week, to be known as the congregation that outdoes each, everybody else in, in honoring one another, that we are continually, continually lifting others up and not treating them as common. Thank you, God, for your incredible love and your goodness to us. Guide us now as we close with a song, God, that this song will be just a song of commitment for all of us. And help us this week, for those who have raised their hands and those who have not, to, to use this week as a time of applying your word in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.